Joey, you are responsible for the message I'm preaching today. And I want you to know I was thinking of Mark 4 about preaching here before you preached it last Sunday night. Now, when a guy gets up and preaches what another on, from the same text, you kind of can dial out and think, oh, I've heard that before. I think if you take the two talks together, we probably will get a sense of God wanting to speak to us specifically as his people through that passage. I'm only asking you to do one thing. Remember, I'm 64, and he's a young man, and he's probably going to be way better than me at what happens. So just be gracious to me. Get his recording and, and, and you know, just listen up to mine. So we're reading from Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. If you turn to your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. It says, On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Won't you just say that out loud? Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filled. Now, just try and imagine this. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? A better translation there would be, Where is your faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. I call this a discipleship masterclass. It's like you want to know how to really follow Jesus. This, this episode is like a masterclass on how to do that. It's like signing up for the class and not knowing what's going to happen. And God has a way, haven't you noticed that? of getting us to sit some of his classes that we didn't actually sign up for. That's what's going on here. The difference is, is these ordinary fishermen, very early followers of Jesus, were the future apostolic fire pioneers of the Christian church. They were the guys who just a decade or so up the road are going to be involved on the front lines of the most explosive inbreaking of the activity of God on this planet. And Jesus has this unusual training kind of line. He just says, let us go over to the other side and goes to sleep in the stern of a ship. Getting over to the other side could for us in the 21st century kind of be just a general picture of progress, forward movement of the kingdom of God. For some of us, it might be getting on the other side of some of our little tantrums and wobbles and uh, 
you know, our, our easy yielding to various temptations. God wants us to get on the other side of that stuff. He might be, as we saw today, this lovely family going to serve God in Wales is getting into a new assignment. Get on the other side of what you've been doing into the new. Some strange sense is that if we get to the other side, so does Jesus. Because he made the call. His kingdom advances. It could also represent this journey from this fixation with me to we. It's let us go over to the other side. My friend Sterling Baptist Church has been on this own magnificent journey over decades. And there are seasons where today we're saying we're a witness to the appointment of new leadership. There's an authorizing. There's a sense in my heart. I sense greater spiritual jurisdiction comes with that. You sort of God widens your your uh, scope for new adventures. And uh, that'll happen whether you go on sabbatical or not, you guys. They've got a sabbatical lined up, which is our way of, you know, set a leader in place and then send them away for a rest. It seems like crazy, counterintuitive. But the point is, uh, this isn't just about you and I getting over our stuff. It's about us together standing shoulder to shoulder in this journey of getting to that next season or uh, destination that God has for us. It's about learning to fight our fears in a certain way that gets us there. About 10 or 12 years ago, I listened to Andy Stanley work with this text, and he came up with this line, fighting fear with fear. And we're going to see how that unpacks in the, in the text. We'll see how, what, what this really means. How many of you are feeling really, really excited about being a South African right now? Yes. Yes. A World Cup, we're going to win the rugby, okay. But I guess if you read newspapers and online newspapers and all of that, I, I like you, find myself being hijacked by a mix of emotions. Am I the only guy that feels like that about this great country that we're a part of? And uh, I, I don't want to take you down a a whole road of depressive details and all that, but there's a temptation for some of us to feel like God has stepped off his throne. There's just like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're heading for the abyss, Zimbabwe, here we come. Have you heard any of those stories? Okay. I don't know how much of that may or may not happen in terms of our worst fears. I do, I do know this from psychology, that 95% of the things we fear never happen. And you've heard me say in the past, we must be very careful of the, the hyper-reality that comes through the media. That's the media's designed to inform us, but very often they're trying to form us. We listen to too many strong voices that are shaping us, and they have a way of shaping our emotions and our responses, and, and they present the facts to us. And facts are our friends. Facts are not always uh, wrong, but when the facts become embellished, when the facts get exaggerated, when the facts are taught in a way that puts us on the back foot and we move into pockets of fear and intimidation, something's wrong. I don't see that happening. In the Bible that I read, the people of God in every generation are a people who found confidence in God and they found a way to get to the other side. Of course, fear can be our worst enemy or it can be our best ally. Now I've got your attention. 
can be our worst enemy or could be our worst ally, depending on the object of our fear, what we fear. A loving, a loving reverence for God as our creator and redeemer has power to break the paralysis of lesser fears. And the Bible way is not simply sort of uh, facing down our fears and forcing our way through it all on the basis of technique or temperament. I'm an optimist, so I'm going to bulldoze my way through. I'm a pessimist, so there's no way I'm going through it. It's not, it's not your personality type that's going to win the day. But it's you and I learning in our discipleship, in the way we follow Jesus, to say, God, my reverence for you is greater than my fears and a reverence of circumstances or of people or the voice of man. One of the most dangerous prayers we could pray, but probably one of the most life-giving ones is, Lord, please won't you surface in me the fears that are shaping my behaviors? Is there something in me that's shaping my behavior? And this, you're going to see it unpack in the story in this remarkable way. Now, in case you didn't know this, the Sea of Galilee, uh, from the one side to the other, was a nine-kilometer journey. For these guys who were in the boat... These are master fishermen. They've been on the waters. They grew up on the waters. They knew everything about fishing, and they also knew everything about weather patterns. And for them, for these guys to to be terrified when a storm came up, they needed to know this was the mother of all storms. Wind and waves breaking over the boat. Water getting into the... I saw a little picture of the kind of boat in some of my studies. I saw this picture of this boat. It was about 22 foot long. It was about only about uh, just under three meters wide. And it could take about 12 people. We're not exactly sure how many are in the boat. But the water is going in and it feels like those sails are being uh, ripped, you know, to and fro. And of course... What kind of man sleeps in the back of a boat in a storm out at sea? Think about it. It is ferocious. It's one of the worst they've ever encountered. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. Where's that verse, Jesus, that you're God and you neither slumber nor sleep? What are you doing? And actually, the Greek word for their response is... Is, is, is matter, matters it not to you that we perish? I love that. That's the flow. So I think it's the King James Version, but it's a, it's a more accurate. Matter, matters it not to you that we perish? Hmm. This isn't about, don't, doesn't it matter you that we're drowning? It's way more significant. What they're saying is, doesn't it matter to you that we're going down inch by inch Moment by moment, we're going down. Don't you care about us? Our lives, our assets, the family business, we're going down. And don't you realize, Jesus, that we are your brand new recruits. You've got some ambition, and if we go down, the future goes down. There's so much at stake. Don't you know, Jesus, that just down the road, you want some parts of the New Testament to be written. You want churches to be planted. You want people to be authorized. You want leaders ordained in churches. Don't you realize, Jesus, doesn't it matter to you what's going on here? We're your dream team. Jesus gets up. And rebukes the wind and the waves. 
He doesn't even say anything to them. He just says, oh, panic stations. Oh, my dear, what am I going to do with these beautiful people that I have called to be my very own for all eternity? What am I going to do? And he knows he just needs to bring some release, a relief. And he speaks to the storm and he says, peace, be still. And the wind, which is the cause, and the waves, which is the effect. He exercises his kingdom authority. And it all becomes like glass. In a moment, you're looking down into this water and you're seeing your reflection. Just before, it was chaos. What I find remarkable is that a secure man is a man of very few words in crisis. Be careful of people when life is tough and all they want to do is talk, 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 talk. Just love what Jesus is modeling here. He has few words. And the reason he has few words is because he doesn't see the crisis like everyone else. Joey, I didn't listen to your message, but I do wonder, and I hope there's some kind of overlap between these things. A consensus point for people in that kind of situation. The consensus point was that in ancient culture, the sea was uncontrollable by any power other than God. The sea was a symbol of unstoppable destruction. In a sense, the sea in full fury was ungovernable and only God could control it. Jesus, having calmed that sea, demonstrates his deity demonstrates that he who at the beginning of time spoke creation into existence, he who set the span of the oceans and the stars, that he had authority over it all. And so he asked the question, why are you so afraid? Which I would imagine if you're a follower of Jesus in that moment is a pretty dumb question. Jesus, don't you understand, with us lesser mortals, when we're in that kind of storm, that's what you do. You throw a tantrum. You cry out for relief. You, you get desperate. It's normal, Jesus, for us lesser mortals to, to let you know what's going down. Of course, there is this thing called this masterclass of discipleship. You see, fear says you can't handle these circumstances if you're not in control. And there's this tension between being in certain storms and realizing you're not in control and then shrinking God because you're not in control and you dumb God down to your level of capacity to be able to, to work this thing through. And I find it really, really encouraging that Jesus and God and the way the scriptures are written, the Bible calls us to responsibility. But I want to ask you to give me one verse in the Bible where God calls you to be in control. God will give us responsibilities like get the sail up on the boat, go in a certain direction, obey him. And if you're obeying Jesus and you're in a storm out of sea, it's okay if things are not under your control because you were never designed to be in control. You were designed to follow the one who is in control of all our circumstances. And so when... 
Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, do not be anxious about anything. Are you familiar with that verse? But by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Paul, what are you smoking? Don't be anxious. Do you know what it's like to live in South Africa? Petrol price is going up again this week. Don't you know what's happening in the economy? Paul, don't you know what it's like to see so many of the fault lines in our nation and all the stuff we have to contend with? Paul, do you know what's happening? The unemployment rates are going up and how's it going to affect me? God, don't you know what it's like? Immigration officers are being stormed with people who want to off-ramp the South African story. Don't you know what it's like? Well, that may happen, and half of South Africa may leave. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But I want to tell you this. The verse before, be anxious for nothing, is the one that those disciples needed to understand and bank their lives on. And what was the verse just before that? No, no, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to him. You know what is the most important, most beautiful thing we need to see in any storm we're participating in? The will of God can lead us to dangerous places, but it cannot lead us to a single place where God is not present. The Lord is near. And even if he's asleep, he's sleeping in rest. He's not sleeping in neglect. He's waiting for us to rise and respond to him in ways that are appropriate. He's waiting for us to affirm his presence. Some of you are saying, don't fear and control go together. Well, that's our problem. You start to affirm the one who's with us is in control, ultimately of everything. And so Jesus' little gentle rebuke is, do you still have no faith? For them, it was about calling them to confidence in his presence, that we need to practice presence, not progress. We need to practice presence, not technique. We need to practice the presence of God more than anything in our lives. Do you still have no faith? As I mentioned in the reading of the text, is better translated, where is your faith? You see there, drift from confidence to fear was they started to put their, they evaluated their capacity to bulldoze this thing, this storm, and they realized that they didn't have the means. The object of their faith had shifted from Christ and his sufficiency to themselves. My friends, you in the room here, new to church, new to the story of the gospel, where's your faith? Where's your confidence? like these fishermen who trusted their own ingenuity to guts it through difficult circumstances. Some of us can back ourselves to get it through life. Who are you trusting? Who are you looking to? Life is way too complicated for you to make it work outside of the Savior, outside of somebody who is perfect and wise and loving. Coming into land, Jesus knew that he was leaving. And there were certain kinds of storms that they were going to have in the future that would make these ones look like a Sunday school picnic. They needed to learn how to practice his presence, have confidence in his sovereignty, in his control, in his wisdom, confidence in his promise. Let us go to the other side. I will get you there. 
how would they respond in a few years with that persecution and that rejection and the beatings and the false accusations and the imprisonments? Jesus knew as long as they and us, as if we created, if we equated life out of control with being out of God's control, they would never, ever be able to be those pioneers of the first century church. Jesus knew that some of them would even die of martyrs, as martyrs, that their possessions would be confiscated. Folk, what kind of robust faith is Jesus calling us to? He is not calling us to a tidy, pretty life where you can make it work by a set of principles. He's calling us to follow Jesus, sometimes into mystery. But here's the issue. We don't know what's waiting for us in the future. Here's the promise. Jesus is. He's waiting for us in our tomorrows. The worst nightmare that your fear, we can dumb it down, we can shrink it down with a higher view of God's sufficiency. A.W. Tozer says the, the, the problem with our world is that it's got such a low view of God. And then he says, and the problem with why the world has such a low view of God is because the church has such a low view of God. The people of God are not evidencing this level of robust faith and confidence in the midst of difficulty. I know that I'm not going to be invited back, so I'm going to just land this message quickly. Here's the best part of the story. Just quick little recap. A storm. Jesus asleep. He gets up. Peace. Be still. A little bit of a discipleship moment. He audits their faith. And what's the next thing that you read in the text? They were terrified. I said, Rigby, what, what does that mean? So glad you've asked. When they saw the storm, they've never been more afraid in their life when they saw that storm. But when they saw the storm tamer, it was a new category of holy fear. My friends, you know how you fight fear? With a superior fear. You take the fears that you will face this week, tomorrow, next month, in the future, you take those fears and you subordinate them to the fear of Yahweh, the living God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is near. They feared a great fear, is what the Greek says. Oh, they were afraid. Matters it not to you that we're perishing, we're going down. And now, the climax of the discipleship masterclass is, they were terrified. <laughs> Serve the Lord with fear. Let all the earth fear the Lord. The angel of the Lord encamps around us, fear him. Fear the Lord, his saints. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You alone, Yahweh, are to be feared. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the man. The Lord delights in those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth 
and honor and life. And Isaiah 33 and 6 says, He will be a sure foundation for our times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's this holy reverence for this unrivaled, matchless divine being. But the fear of the Lord is also a fear of his absence in our lives. Some people run when they see what these disciples didn't run. They say, wow! Who is that man, this man that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? Who is this man? Our sins, our compromises, our reticence, our fears are not the result of being overwhelmed by life's woes. Not the result of yielding to powerful temptations. It's not the result of jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. We're overwhelmed by these things largely because we're underwhelmed with Jesus. The leader, the man who's overwhelmed with pornography has a way more serious problem than pornography. He's underwhelmed with Jesus. And I want to eyeball you today, Sterling Baptist Church, and I want to say God is not looking for stunning churches and leaders. He's looking for stunned churches and leaders. He's not looking for amazing people. He's looking for amazed people. He's not looking for awesome people. He's looking for awestruck people. As Paul Tripp says, God is wanting to open our all gates. And he does that in times of uncertainty because these are intention-focusing devices. God says that uncertainty is supposed to drive you to what is certain. I want you to see me in a new way. I want you to love me in a way, new way. I want you to obey me in a new way. God's not looking for terrific churches. He's looking for terrified churches who are growing in their revelation of the beauty and the wonder and the greatness of God. I can do no more than commend you to Christ who invites us. Let us go over to the other side. And there's enough grace to get us there. The one who ultimately would enter the storm of God's own wrath. When he died on the cross for our sins, he entered the deepest storm and fear he entered the fear of our death where we were paralyzed by fear because of the uncertainty of the grave. He took that thing by the scruff and he subordinated to his resurrection power and he promises you eternal life. You can be stripped of all of that uncertainty. Our problem is we've dumbed him down and shrunk him into therapeutic kind of processes. We need the revelation of the greatness of God. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more will he freely give us all things for our good, for his glory?